But I'm telling you this, write this down. If you want acquaintances, tell them your successes. But if you want friends, tell them your fears. That is some really good advice from Rob Parsons, and you'll hear more from him today on Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, we're continuing a very winsome presentation today featuring Rob Parsons of Care for the Family in the United Kingdom. Rob is a best-selling author of several books and a great storyteller as well. And as we said last time, uh, we are sort of eavesdropping on important conversations that Rob is planning to have with his grandchildren when they become young adults. Yeah, and uh, so the setting is that Rob is on a stage in uh, a setting that looks like his study, his office at home, and he's seated in an armchair speaking to each grandchild as he imagines them in the chair opposite him. So here's Rob Parsons on today's Focus on the Family. Jackson, look at you, prop forward, 22 years old. Jackson, take a seat. Jackson, I want to talk to you about dreams. You know, psychologists say that most people have three basic dreams. The first is you're falling off a cliff. If you hit the floor, apparently you die, although no one's been able to verify that. Uh, The second dream is that you've got an exam in a month's time and you haven't done any work at all. Uh, For me, Jackson, to be honest, that's not so much a dream as as a memory. But the third kind, and this is the one they wanted to admit to, you are naked in public. You're in the garden party, the queen is coming towards you with a tray of cucumber sandwiches and you are completely naked. (laughs) But Jackson, that's not the kind of dream I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you about a different kind of dream. You know, the Bible says without a vision, the people perish. We are born to dream. And Jackson, I want you to know you've got a right to your dreams. You haven't got a right to them being fulfilled. And you certainly haven't got a right to trod all over somebody else just to see it fulfilled, but you've got a right to your dreams. You know, when I was about 14, 15, I had a dream, but we weren't an academic home. We only had three books in our our home. We had an atlas, we had a Bible, and something called the doctor's book. It was so written that whatever disease you looked up, you had and also the one on the facing page. It was a, a scary book to look up, to be honest. And, and we weren't an academic home. I didn't understand school. I didn't think I was lazy. My school report noted the fact when I was 14 at Easter term, there were 34 children in my class. I had come 34. My teacher wrote, he is making no use of what little ability he has. I remember one day, you know, about a year later, we went to an architect's office as a careers program. And as I leave, another teacher said, Parsons, where are you going? I said, sir, I may be an architect. He couldn't stop laughing for an hour. People will do that to you. Jackson, even people who love you will pour cold water on your dreams. I remember rushing home to my dad. I was 21 years old. Dad was a mailman, a postman. And and I said, Dad, I've met this guy. He says I can be a lawyer. He's going to pay for me to go through law school. Jackson, I remember what my father said as though he was standing next to me now. He said, son, people like us don't become lawyers. He wasn't trying to be sarcastic. I think he was trying to keep me from the pain of failure, but he was still pouring cold water on my dream. Jackson, if you're going to see your dreams fulfilled, there are a couple of things you're going to have to try and put in place. Number one, I think you're going to probably need to find a dream catcher. I met mine when I was about... Fifteen and a half. 
I'm walking down the road. I'm about to drop out of church because I don't understand church. And I'm certainly about to drop out of school. And all I want to do is be a rock and roll singer. And I've got a guitar over my shoulder. And an older man from church comes up to me, Arthur Tovey. Arthur and his wife were poor. They lived in tombs in his mother's house. Arthur and his wife were told at that time they could not have children of their own. Arthur had never passed an academic examination. Arthur had a very bad speech impediment. But Arthur and Margaret loved kids. And he said, Rob, next Wednesday in our home, we're going to have a little Bible study for about 10 or 12 teenagers. Would you like to come? Oh, ladies and gentlemen, when all you want to do is walk onto the stage in Las Vegas dressed in gold lame, a Bible study on a Wednesday night is not the greatest offer you've ever had. But for some reason I said, yes. He was a brilliant psychologist. He taught us the Bible as best he could for 25 minutes, and then they got two bits of hardboard and put them on the dining table. We played ping pong with the bats up against our chest. If the ball went under the table, it was an engineering job to get it out. And with what little money he had, he bought us fish and chips. And as we're coming back from the chip shop and the vinegar is seeping through the paper, Margaret, his wife, had the tea brewing. When you walked into Arthur and Margaret's home, you felt like a king. No matter what anybody else said about you, especially teachers, Arthur told you you were special, that God had given you gifts. If you missed that class, he'd come hunting you down. And when I was about 17, he said, Rob, did you ever take part in debates or drama in school? I said, Arthur, I don't even put my hand up in class. He said, well, I think God has given you a gift of public speaking, and I'm going to teach you. That was scary. He was the worst public speaker you've ever heard in your life. But he did teach me to tell stories to children. And later to give what I called, or he called, my, my testimony to adults in churches. Folks, I'm not exactly sure how it happened, honestly. But by the time I was early 30s, I was a joint senior partner of a 10 office legal practice. And when I was in my 30s, the Law Society of England and Wales asked me to be a keynote speaker in front of a thousand lawyers in Vienna. And as I go on stage, I decide to ring Arthur. He lived in a little prefabricated house in the north of Cardiff. I said, Arthur, I'm about to go on stage. A thousand lawyers out there. You taught me to do this. He said, did I? And a couple of years later, I was promoting one of my books in America. And, and the radio host in the studio got him live on air from Cardiff as a surprise to me and interviewed him. And at the end of the interview, he said to Arthur, well, what do you think of the boy who came to your Bible class? Arthur said, I'm proud of him. I cried on air. Arthur and Margaret didn't have much. But they must have woken up one morning and said, Darling, we don't seem to have much. We haven't got any money. We can't have kids of our own right now. We haven't passed any exams. I got this speech impediment. But you know what, darling? We got two rooms. I think if I put the, the hardwood on top of the table, we, we could play table tennis with them. I could teach them a little bit of the Bible. If we save some money, we could buy them fish and chips. Why don't we give it a shot? Arthur changed my life. You and I will not have to answer for what we didn't have, little or much, but we may have to answer for what we did have. He died a couple of years ago. I went into the hospital for the last time. He was practically comatose. I put my lips next to his ear and said, Arthur, thank you. He changed my life. And I kissed him. Find a dream catcher if you can. Jackson, or be a dream catcher. And then, Jackson, you've got to be prepared to fail. You've got to be prepared to fail. 
You know, Roosevelt said the credit doesn't belong to the man or woman who points out where the strong man or woman could have got it better, but, but the man or woman who's in the arena, whose face is marred by sweat and blood and tears, who even if they fail, at least fail daring greatly. You know, I love poetry. Look at this study, Jackson. It's full of poetry. I love poetry. But about a year ago, somebody gave me a little poem. It's the shortest poem I've ever come across. It will be my favorite poem to the day I die. Would you like to hear me recite it? Okay, well then I will. It has to do with being prepared to try something. There is freedom waiting for you on the breezes of the sky. And you say, but what if I fall? Oh my darling, what if you fly? And thirdly, Jackson, you've got to be prepared to start. You know, in the middle of the Old Testament, Jackson, there's a quirky book, Ecclesiastes. It has an incredible line in it. Those who watch the wind never sow, and those who watch the clouds never reap. In other words, it's really the perfect time to begin anything. Oh, you know what? There's no point putting the seed in the wind will blow it away. No point start the harvest. It's short to rain. You know what, Jackson? Sometimes you have to just stick that seed in the ground. You've got to begin. Helen Keller was ill when she was a toddler. Blind, mute, learned to speak by holding her fingers against her tutor's larynx. Graduated from Cambridge College, Massachusetts, formed the Helen Keller Home for Blind Children, lectured all over the world. And one day, as she got off a plane in Los Angeles, a journalist put a microphone in her face and said, Miss Keller, can you imagine anything worse than being blind? Oh yes, yeah, she said. To be able to see and have no vision. Itzek Perlman may be one of the greatest violinists who ever lived. But he contracted polio when he was eight years old. And he comes into the auditorium and he takes his seat for solo violin. The conductor's in place, the audience in place, the orchestra in place. And then he takes the caliper off his leg to begin to play solo violin. But tonight is Perlman they've come to hear. Because at the end of the piece there's a six minute violin solo. Very, very difficult. They've come to hear Perlman. 30 seconds into that violin solo, one of Perlman's four strings breaks. It sounds like a bullet ricocheting around the auditorium. The audience gasps, uh, the conductor stops, and then Perlman waves him to carry on. And for the next five and a half minutes, brilliantly transposing the music from four strings to three, he finishes the piece. And then people went crazy. They're on the seats, they're clapping, the orchestra banging their instruments, and then Perlman called for silence and a microphone. And when he got it, he shouted into the darkness of the auditorium, All my life, it has been my mission to make music from what remains. All my life, it has been my mission to make music from what remains. And Jackson, you are young and I am old. But neither of us can do anything about yesterday. But by God's grace in our lives and in the lives of others, we can make music from what remains. I'll see you a little later, Jackson. Folks, before Evie comes in, the last grandchild, I've got to talk to you about her. You know, if you have more than one child, you will have chalk and cheese. That is particularly galling if the first one is compliant, because that's what lures you into having the second one. And my second one, Lloyd, was, was the testing one. He was driving me crazy, honestly. That little boy used to wake up every day of his life with the same prayer on those tiny lips. Dear God, help me drive my mother crazy today. And every day God answered his prayer. In fact, he's grown now with kids of his own and God is still answering his prayer. 
I said, if I can see him with a child that stamps her foot and wags her finger and shakes her head and says, no, you can take me then. And I watch him now with Levy. She's six years old. And she stamps her little foot and she wags her little finger and she shakes her little head and says, no. And I think any day now, <laughs> swing low, sweet chariot. You're listening to Rob Parsons. He's on a stage set to look like the study in his home as he imagines his granddaughter Evie entering the room as a 24-year-old young woman. Darling, I want to talk to you about season the day. A friend of mine is professor of psychology at Oxford University. He said a fascinating thing to me not long ago. He said, Rob, most people believe a future event will make them happy. If I could win the lottery, if we could move house, if I could get an exam, if we could do this, if, we could do, if I could get that promotion, I'd be really happy. He said, Rob, most happy people grasp it now. Because now is all we've got. I'm a child of the 60s. A couple of years ago, my wife bought me two tickets for the Sound of the 60s concert. I was so excited I could hardly sleep. We go into the auditorium and it's packed. I said to Diane, there's so many people here, but, but why is everybody so old? She said, we're old. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, the bands were older than the audience. The leader of the swing of blue jeans said, I'm sorry I can't jump above, I've hurt my back. I didn't want to know about his back. And you know, Evie, when I left the concert, I walked to my car, it was raining, and I pulled the collar of my coat up, and a stunning realization hit me. The music was great, but those teenagers weren't as great as I remembered. Teachers were sometimes nasty to me. Girlfriends finished with me. Lots of them. Bullies chased me down the road. Life wasn't as good as I remember. Don't say, why were the old days better than this? It will rob you of today. But darling, for some, it is not the problem that the past was so good it can never be repeated. It is that it's so bad we can never be free of it. Darling, we have to be very careful not to give simple answers to people's grief. And I want to talk to you a tiny bit about suffering. You know what, darling, if I could stop you suffering, you could take my life now in this study, but I can't. But I want to take you to a man who suffered at least as much as I think you may have to, to show you how he dealt with it. But for that, my darling, I have to take you to Auschwitz. And Viktor Frankl was a Jewish psychiatrist who was in Auschwitz and Dachau. And he lost his wife, he lost his friends, he lost everything. But he went on ministering to them, reaching out to them. And when the U.S. Army liberated Dachau, somebody asked them this question, how could you go on doing it? How could you go on reaching out? How could you go on helping other people? And he said this, they can take everything from you. They can take your health from you and your freedom from you and your dignity from you. They can even take your life from you. But one thing they cannot take is the choice as to how you will respond to any given set of circumstances. Darling, for some, it is not the past that's the problem. It's the future. Look at this old armchair. You used to sit on my lap there and I would read you from the Mr. Men books. Do you remember those? My favorite was Mr. Worry. He worried about everything. He worried about his hat and his coat and his car and his roof. And and if he had nothing to worry about, well, that really worried him. Because he was sure he must have missed something. Do you know what, darling? Even now, Pops is a bit like Mr. Worry. I wake some mornings with a sick feeling in my stomach and I worry about health and I worry about work and I I sometimes worry about you kids. I sometimes even worry about your mum and your dad and 
And oh, most of it's a lot of nonsense. My mind just goes running off on things. You know, Mark Twain said, most of my tragedies have never happened to me. The smartest man who ever lived said, don't worry about tomorrow. You have enough to worry about today. But we can live our lives in fear like that, darling. You know, the early map makers used to get together with the old explorers and they would say to the explorers, tell us what you found. And then the old cartographers would draw the maps. And when they got to the edge of exploration and the explorers could help them no further, do you know what they would write on the edges of the maps? They would write these words, beyond this there may be dragons. Nobody ever seen a dragon and often when the explorers got into the new lands they were beautiful, full of wonderful resources but right now it was the future. And therefore beyond this there may be dragons. Darling, sometimes we write those words on the edges of our lives. We live in fear. Ask for God's help. To live not just in yesterday or tomorrow but today. Give us today our daily bread. This is the day the Lord has made. Yesterday is history. Tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift. And that's why we call it the present. But darling, if you're going to do that, you're going to have to do a battle with a great enemy. Time. Time is a fascinating thing. You can't buy it, you can't mortgage it, you can't rent it, you can't save it. People say to me, I saved an hour. Oh really? Where did you put it? You can save money, you can put money under the bed, but you can only spend time. And all the surveys in the Western world show people want more time. The only problem is everybody has all the time there is. Tonight in a penthouse in Manhattan, a multi-billionaire will die surrounded by doctors, lawyers, hospital consultants. At exactly the same time, a beggar will die alone in the streets of Calcutta. Those two men only had one thing the same the whole of their lives. At one second past midnight, a big bag of minutes was delivered to the foot of each man's bed. And 24 hours later, at one second to midnight, each man's bag was empty. No amount of money, power, prestige could buy one more minute. Darling, it truly is the greatest asset. Now, I want you to work hard. I want you to be successful. But as you get older, I want you to understand the power of time. And make sure, my darling, you invest in relationships. Brian Dyson used to be the CEO of Coca-Cola Enterprises. And Dyson said this, he said, when we're young, we juggle five balls. Work, family, health, friends, and what he called spirit. But he said, when we're young, we juggle them as though they're all made of the same material, but they're not. Some are made of rubber. If you drop the work ball, it may bounce back. Not always, but it may. He said some of them are made of glass. They don't bounce too well. We'd be wise to take more care of those. You know, darling, the Bible says, number your days that you may get a heart of wisdom. Darling, as we end our time in the study now, that gives me the chance to tell my favorite story in the whole world. It was a little boy whose parents owned one of the very first telephones. He lived on the plains and he said, I was nine years old when they delivered it, a big wooden box, and my mum would wind it up and she would say, information please, and a voice would say, this is information. And information please would tell them the weather or get them a number or even tell them the time. And one day he said, my mum and dad were out and I banged my thumb with a hammer. And there's no point crying because there was nobody in. And then I remembered the telephone. 
And I got a stool and I stood on it and I wandered up and I said, information please. And the voice said, this is information. And I said, I bang my thumb. And the information please said, is your mummy in? No. Is your daddy in? No. Is he bleeding? No. Could you get to the ice box? Yes. Hold some ice against it. He said it worked. He said, after that, I rang information police for anything. <laughs> information police helped with my geography homework, she told me where Philadelphia is. <laughs> information police taught me to spell disappear. And when my pet canary died, I cried and said, why would God make anything that can sing so beautifully and let it die? Information police said, Paul, you must always remember there were other worlds to sing in. And then my parents moved to New York City and I was out of her area. And anyway, I didn't believe information police could live in this new plastic phone. And I never rang her again until I was 24 years old. And I flew into my old town and I'm in the airport lounge and I look at the phone and think, I wonder. And I dial and I say, information please. And a voice says, this is information. And I say, could you teach me to spell disappear? And she said, I expect that thumb is better by now. <laughs> and I said, have you any idea what you meant to me? Sure, have you any idea what you meant to me? We couldn't have children of our own. I still love it when you rang. Now, now I'm Sally. You remember that, don't you? But I'm not very well. I only come in a couple of hours a week. But if you're in my area, please ring me. And I promised I would, and I used to, and we would often talk. And one day I rang, and I said, information, please. And a different voice said, this is information. And I said, could I speak to Sally? And the lady said, oh, sir, I'm so sorry. Sally died a couple of weeks ago. She was very ill. She only came in occasion. Oh, I'm sorry to trouble you. No, wait. Is your name Paul? Why? Yes, it is. Well, Paul. Sally said, if you happen to ring, we must be sure to give you this message. Paul, you must always remember there are other worlds to sing in. Darling, I want you to be successful, but I want you to walk through life with your eyes a little higher. At the lowest moment of their lives, Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. He wanted to lift their eyes a little higher. And darling, that won't answer all your pain. Don't let people, even religious people, give you easy answers to your pain, but it will explain some, and it will bring you hope, and it is real. Now give pops a kiss. The problem with writing books is how do you finish them? And I wrote the Wisdom House book and I wasn't sure how to finish it. And then I came across some words which apparently hung on the wall of Mother Teresa's office. And I finished the book with these words as I finish my short time with you now with the same words. People are often unreasonable, irrational and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and sincere, people may deceive you. Be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten. Do good anyway. Give the best you have and it will never be enough. Give your best anyway. In the final analysis, it is between you and God. It never was between you and them. 
anyway. Bob Parsons on today's edition of Focus on the Family. Wow, what a great message. And I definitely want to share this content with Trent and Troy, my two boys. These are lessons that are so important for our young people to hear, and they shouldn't have to learn them the hard way. Well, that is so true, Jim. And it's actually the subtitle of Rob's book called The Wisdom House, Because You Don't Always Have to Learn the Hard Way. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller. Just like Jim, I find myself reflecting on my own family, especially my daughters. I'm eager to carve out time to sit down with them and absorb the wisdom shared in this program. I want to encourage you to consider doing the same and even sharing the program with others. You can do that from our website or if you have our Focus on the Family Africa app, it's easy to share right from your phone. We've also got the video of Rob delivering the Wisdom House on our new streaming platform, Thrive Media. So if you'd like to watch that, you'll find a link from our website at safamily.co.za. But most exciting, we're only a few days away from our tour of events with Rob Parsons, who will be presenting a seminar titled 10 Vital Parenting Lessons I Wish I'd Learned Earlier. You'll also love our morning seminar, The Heart of Communication, a masterclass in public speaking. We'll be in Pretoria on the 26th and 27th and Cape Town on the 29th of Feb. You'll find all the details on our website at safamily.co.za. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Graham Schnell for Focus on the Family Africa, inviting you back next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.